0: Om sruti smriti puranam alayam karuna namami bhagavat padam shankaram loka shankaram so in the last class we were studying the 32nd sloka the second verse of the viveka Chiramani. today we will enter into the discussion where in the 33rd sloka the function of a guru has been described so what's the purpose of a guru so that's been described in the 33rd sloka so let us read the sloka and then we'll go to the discussion Ukta sadhana sampanna, tattva jigyashu atmanaha, upasidet gurum pragyam, yasmat vandha vimokshanam. So let a person who is endowed with the aforesaid qualifications, this ukta sadhana sampanna. If you recapitulate that we were. There is still the 32nd sloka. We were studying the fourfold spiritual practices in which an aspirant has to be qualified before he approaches the guru. So here that's why the word aforesaid means the already described fourfold spiritual practices, the one who is already endowed with them, so he, uh, that Ukta Sadhana Sampanna means such a person who is endowed with those fourfold four spiritual practices and who is Tattva Chigyasu, who is, uh, what you say, that earnest, who has the earnestness to know about the essence of his being, the Tattva Atman, of his own self, of the Atman. What's the real nature of it? The one who is earnest to know that and one who is sadhana, chatushtaya sampanna. One who is endowed with all those uh, fourfold qualifications. Such a person, Upasidhet gurum pragyam. So he has to approach the guru, the one who has a fourfold spiritual, who is already endowed with those fourfold spiritual qualifications and one who is earnest to know about the truth of the Atman, the real essence of that truth of Atman, he has to approach the Guru, humbly has to approach the Guru, yasmat vandha So what is the purpose of approaching the Guru? For getting delivered from the bondage. So Guru is the one who can deliver us from our bondage. He delivers emancipation, liberation from bondage. So that's the purpose for which one should approach the Guru. So that's the sloka, 33rd sloka. So Sadhana Sampanna. As we have already described, it speaks of the fourfold practices. What are those fourfold practices? Viveka, Vairagya, Shama Damadi Shat Sampatti, Mumukshutvam. Viveka speaks of the discrimination between the real and the unreal, followed by Vairagya, once you develop the discrimination between something which is eternal, something which is permanent, and something which is ephemeral. The thing which is eternal, that's the thing which is real, and once you have developed that discrimination, naturally you are bound to, develop a dispassion for the ephemeral. So this vairagya means, eha amutra follow bhoga virag. The results of actions which I accrue by my actions here or hereafter, the idea of going to heaven and enjoying the higher pleasures of life, that also should fall off if we really want emancipation. So the vairagya means the Hankering after the results of action here and hereafter that has to fall off. That's Vairagya. Followed by Shama, Damadi, Shatsampati. Shatsampati means six treasures. What are those six treasures? Shama, Damadi, Shama, Damad, etc. So, what are those, etc.? Another four Shama, dama, Titiksha, Uparati, Samadhana, Sraddha. So, that we have studied in de- details. That Shama speaks of controlling of the mind. Dhamma, the controlling of the senses. Titiksha is the endurance from all the opposites in the form of pleasure and pain, joy and sorrow, heat and cold. So you develop the capacity to endure them without any grudge, without any grievance. That speaks of the calmness of the mind, that nothing can affect me. And then comes the uparati. Uparati speaks that, yes, I have controlled my external senses, but my mind still may be going to the objects of the senses. We find that though we may be secluded, we may be secluded from the world, we have detached our senses from the sensate objects, but the mind, because of its past association, still has the tendency to roam, in the pleasures of the worldly objects. So uparati speaks of bringing it back. Don't allow the mind to get associated with the objects of the senses. And then comes samadhana. If you can develop that type of calmness, that can lead to that intense focus, intense meditation, where you become almost one with the object of meditation. And sraddha speaks of because all this practice is not going to yield result in a single day but we know that the scripture has mentioned that it do happen this if you resort to this practice it will take you to the realization the guru who is the authority of the scriptures who following the scriptures has already uh, attained that spiritual illumination so he is also the authority so i have faith in him with a faith in the guru and in the words of scriptures I persevere in my spiritual journey. So sraddha is an important factor. And the last quality is the mumukshutvam, that unless you have that yearning, tremendous yearning, the other practices will be of no avail. So the yearning only entails that the other practices become effective, the tremendous yearning to realize the ultimate truth that speaks of the mumukshutvam. So one who is already endowed with this fourfold spiritual. Practices who is fourfold spiritual qualifications. This practices has led to the perfection. So now he is having the qualification. So he is endowed with that, and then Tattva Jyashu Atmana. So one who desires to know one's true self. So just uh, you know that uh, in Vedanta, this is the beauty that they are not asking you to believe in anything. Here, the idea is that try to know the self, that we all are aware of our self, that I am. The most used English word is I. They say if it has been formed, that is research. This I, I, we all are aware of that. But what's the real nature of that I? So from there, the Vedanta starts. It's not asking you to believe in God or in some or in any other spiritual uh, sublime truths that you do you believe that you exist? I am, I am. So find out the real nature of that I that who you are are you the body? I have a sense that I am when I'm identified with the body I sometimes feel almost identified with it but am I really the body no. As we sometimes give that example, that suppose someone because of some uh, accident he has to ampute one of his limbs. Does he feel that he is just 70% of himself or 80% of himself because one limb has been removed? No, he feels still he is that I, so that amnes has nothing to do with your association with the body, with your mind, with your senses, that what that real I is. So, the one who has developed the quest to know that real I, the real I of which we are always aware, what's its real nature, and one who is shamadamadhi shatsampatti, one who is have already endowed with that, such a person, when now he has to approach the Guru. Upasiddh, Guru. So, should approach the Guru, now he will instruct. And what is the qualification of the Guru? that the other qualifications will be enumerated in the succeeding, in the next sloka, but here one word they are using, that he should be pragya, that what this word pragya means, the one who has pragya is pragya, the one who is endowed with pragya, now what is pragya, the definition of pragya is prakrishta niratishaya gya avagati pragya, peerless, perfect knowledge is prajya. Just as we were speaking, that we all are aware of that I am. That's something we all are aware. I am. I cannot just leave that I, this my amness apart. I am always with it. I am always aware of that my amness. But what's the real nature of it? Till I... I am not aware of that real nature of that am- amnes. I cannot be uh, it cannot be said that I am having pragya. So pragya means prakrishtagyana, the peerless perfect knowledge. And that happens when you know the real nature of the self. As in the 428th verse of this Vivek Churamani, this will be dis- this will be defined that what is pragya? What is that perfect knowledge? Brahma Atmana so what's that idea that it's a type of mental function where you are always aware of the identity of the atman and the brahman that i am not this limited body-mind complex my association with this limited body mind complex is because of illusion, just like the sun getting reflected in the waves of water. There are so many waves, innumerable waves. Each and every wave will have the reflection of the sun. One sun appears as many. As for the reflection is concerned, the wave may get identified with the reflection, thinking itself as a limited psychophysical existence, but its real nature is something which is beyond the reflection. So we are that Brahman, which is beyond the limits of this body-mind complex. The Brahman getting associated with the body-mind complex is appearing as Atman. So Shodhita, the one who has purified this this knowledge about the Atman, which when you purify, when all the adjuncts fall off, all the things which you have wrongly associated with the idea of yourself. So shodhitaya means filtering, you remove all those dross, the idea of that your body, your mind, these are the, these are the dross that you all filter. And then what remains? That you get identified with the Brahman. So one who has done that, that Brahma, Atmana, shodhitaya, ekabhava, after doing that, his mind is always fixed in the idea. That I am not this limited body-mind complex. I am the Atman. I am the Brahman. Aham Brahmasmi. So this idea is always there like a flow in the as, as a background of his mind. That is the idea of Ekabhava avagahini. Like a flow. This thought is always there. Nirvikalpa. Nirvikalpa is without any duality. That all the ideas of your amness is associated with something else, that I am the body, I am the mind, my relative, my wealth. So, something else gets associated with your idea of your amnes. So, in Sanskrit, there are these two words, mamatva and asmita. That pure asmita is amnes. That amness when gets associated with something else, that becomes mamatva, mine. When anything you feel is mine, that speaks of your association with something which you are not. So all this association has fallen off. You are aware of your pure amness without its association of anything. That's the idea of the nirvikalpa. That all the vikalpas, all the uh, things which is associated, which are attributed with it, that has fallen off. You And your schinmatra, you know that you are the pure conscious being. You are the ultimate conscious principle which is being projected as this body-mind complex and through the body-mind complex it is being projected as this universe, as this world. But in reality you are that Chinmatra, that pure Atman, that pure conscious principle. So the one who is always aware of that, so for him he is being being established in that pragya. So that kind of mental function which cognizes the identity of the self and Brahman, is purified of all adjuncts, and which is free from all duality, and which is identified, which is identified it to, it itself with the pure intelligence. So such type of intelligence is called pragya. So the guru, now you will understand what? That it is he is just not the one who is well versed in the scriptures. Just after studying the scriptures through his spiritual practices he have went to that realization where he is always aware of his pure conscious self as the essence of his identity. So such a person is supposed to be is called to be established in pragya, and he alone is pragya. So you have to approach a guru who is established in his self that's the one who is pragya. And then only yasmat, vandha, vimokshanam. So then only when you appreciate the benefit of approaching such a guru is stated. That what happens? By proximity with such a guru, the bonds which you have imagined, because of ignorance, that starts from ahankara. The first evolute of ignorance is ahankara. From ahankara this all other, ending up with the body, all other evolutes comes from that ahankar so that the moment you, that because of the reflection of the brahman in this psychophysical uh, complex gives you the sense of that limited individuality that's the ahankar from that the other evolutes just one by one come into existence and you by your association with the guru, become aware of your false identity with these layers of exist, of association and you again become aware of your pure self and that entails in your liberation. So it only happens when you approach a guru. It cannot be with the, only by studying the scriptures that will help to certain extent to clear our idea about the self, but unless we are in association with the Guru who has realized the ultimate reality, our spiritual evolution can never start. It, it can never commence. It commences only when we come in association with the Guru and we start our spiritual journey in his association. So that's the idea which has been uh, enunciated in the 30th third sloka. Now the definition of guru will be spoken of in the 34th and in the 35th sloka. So who is a guru? So it's very interesting. Somehow it has coincided. We just had Guru Purnima and immediately after that the Vivek Churamuni class is actually describing all the qualities of a guru. What are the qualities? Srotriya, Avrijinaha, Akamahata, so, very nicely, these two slokas, the 34th and the 35th, we are studying together. So what are the qualities which has been spoken of? First is, he should be well versed in the scriptures, in the Vedas. That is what is meant by srotriya. In the olden days, it was all sruti. Means the guru will be reciting the Vedas, and the disciple will be memorizing it just by listening to the words of the Guru. So as he's just listening, he is the Vedas by listening from the recitation of his guru. So that's why it is called the one who is well versed in the Vedas is called Srotriya by hearing has memorized the entire thing. So that's why he's srotriya. He well versed in the Vedas. Avvrijinam. <coughs> he is sinless. And he can be sinless only if the next quality has been spoken. He is akamahata. Unpierced by desire. Akamahata. Hata means to get injured. The one who has not been inflicted by any desire. Akamahata. He only can be a virgin, sinless. So he should be sinless, he should be untainted by desires, and a knower of brahman par excellence. Brahma Viduttama. Why knower of brahman par excellence? There can be gradations in the knowledge of brahman. Just intellectually understanding the conception of brahman. That also is a type of knowledge. But here he is called the Brahma Viduttama, with the power excellence. Why? It is not just intellectual knowledge. He has realized through his spiritual practice. He has realized. He went to that realization where he is convinced. His is chaya, it's only realization which can give us conviction. Suppose you have read in the geography book. A small child has read in the geography book that there is something called ocean that the earth, two-third is ocean surface, Earth surface, two-third is ocean, only one-third is land. But he has never seen, and someone may come and convince him that it's all bogus. There is nothing called ocean. There may be some small water bodies, but like ocean, is nothing is there. And he may get convinced, because he has just read in the book, he's yet to see. And for the first time, when he just goes and sees the ocean, he just stands on the sea beach and just sees the ocean, that vast expanse, limitless expanse of water. And now if you say that ocean, there's nothing called ocean, he won't even argue with you. He will just say you are mad. Why? Because he has realized. It's no more just the Srotriya. Srotriyas have heard. After hearing through his life, he has went to a realization. He has came face to face with the truth. In the words of Shankaracharya, the truth has become Karatala Amalakavat, just like a fruit in the palm of your hand. So for such a person, eh, it has been spoken of as he is Brahma Viduttama, that the knower of Brahman, power excellence, who has withdrawn himself into the Brahman, Brahmani Uparata, knowing Brahman and then living his life in the contemplation of Brahman. So that's Brahmani Uparata, who is calm, Shanta. And the next is an allegory. And this what the allegory has been given here to explain that calm uh, person beyond all desires, he is like fire that has consumed its fuel. In the fire, if you go on pouring fuel, it will flare up. But if you don't pour f- fuel, the fire gradually will just get exhausted. So the one who is desireless, it's like just like you're he's no more pouring fuel in the fire. So the fire, as it is not being poured with the fuel, gradually the strength of the fire diminishes and it gets extinguished. So that's the example which has been given. So Guru is like that. He is like the fire that has already consumed its fuel, who is a boundless reservoir of this 35th sloka says, the next sloka, that he is boundless reservoir of unconditional mercy. Ahetuka daya sindhu. He has no selfish motive, that no motive for earning wealth, name, fame, just out of unbound compassion. Seeing the misery of the suffering of the humankind. He comes to instruct them in the ways of spiritual living. So that's his Ahetu Kadaya Sindhu. And a friend of all people who are humble. A-namata satambandhu. A-namata. A-namata means who always bows down. That means who is humble. And in Sanskrit, wherever the A prefix is used, it is used in the sense of encompassment. Like when we say, A Samudra Himachal. Many say that before the British in India, the concept of that geographical unity of India was not there. So it's a wrong idea. It was there. Because even in our, uh, what you say, the literature, like Kalidas Shakuntalam, this phrases are there ah samudra himachal that which encompasses the land which encompasses from ocean to the mountains that one land ah samudra so wherever Ananda nanda itself means happiness when you use the prefix ah means from the beginning to the end it's unadulterated happiness that is ananda otherwise nanda means happiness so in sanskrit wherever we use a it is used in the sense of this prefix is used in the sense of encompassment so here they're saying a namata namata itself means humility a when you add the prefix a it says by nature he is humble sometimes because of some our uh, own interest because of some interest we may show humility that we know we are going to get something from some person and for the time being we may show our humility it's arnamata means his nature has totally been transformed he has is a very humble person full of humility because he's, he has he has earnest desire to know the truth and that has made him humble with full humility he approaches the guru to such a disciple our guru is just like a friend bandhu the word what's the real meaning of the bandhu? we will come to it so now let us just take these words and try to elaborate them a little more the srotri that one who has studied the upanishads as we have mentioned in the olden days the study never meant reading any text it was just by hearing from the mouth of the guru and you have to hear and learn so that's why they were called srotri so as it has been mentioned in the panini Sutra, srotriya chanda adheti. Chanda means the Vedas, all the Vedas as they are in the form of verses, so they are chanda. The one who has learned the chanda, he is srotriya. So for it is only he who has inquired into the Brahman, and, and he has uh, after the study of the Upanishads, he, he only can have that inquiry for the truth, because in the se- world of sensed pleasure, there is nothing uh, uh, which can give us that enkin- what is enkindling of that knowledge of the Brahman. As we give that example, that why uh, sometimes we don't find the answer to the big questions of our life? Because most probably we are not relating to the dimension which, in which that answer lies. That the example which we give again and again, that if uh, we ask a student to draw exactly four triangles by joining four points, he can never do it, impossible. The answer is, you have to draw three points in the paper and imagine the fourth point on the space. Now you join, you get a triangular pyramid. You have the, joining the three points you get one triangle on the paper and then imagine one point on the space and from each point if you draw, a line. You get another three triangles which is joining the base and the point in the space to form another three triangles. You get exactly four triangles by joining the four points. Why the student couldn't answer? Because he was trying to solve the answer by putting the points on the paper. So he never took the third, the fourth dimension, the space, uh, the length, breadth, the height. He has not taken the space into consideration. He was just trying to find the answer in the two dimension of his page. So similarly, in our life, that the questions of life, that why this life, after all just to eat, to to, uh, procreate, and then at last the death is waiting for us, is this for which the life is? What is the meaning of the life? Is there anything behind this, beyond this life? So when we ask all those questions, then only the question of relating to that another dimension, the spiritual dimension of our life comes. And for that, when that question comes, there should be some knowledge which has already been transmitted through the spiritual lineage. And that speaks of the Upanishad. that speaks of the tradition, the parampara, the spiritual lineage, which we have inherited from the past. And that's the thing which has been spoken of as the Upanishads. So that's the knowledge. When you have that inquiry, you have to relate to that another dimension of existence through the study of the scriptures. And the one who has done that, is a srotriya. And then he should be of Virginia This is very important. Many say that there is no idea of morality in Vedanta. So this speaks of Atman, Brahman, but what about morality? Those who have just studied it, studied it very shallow, they only will say such thing, that it is just some knowledge. It has nothing to do with the so-called morality. So here you find that those words, this word itself speaks a, the, that's the uh, what you say a lot. It speaks that do that this thing is just not an intellectual conviction. It speaks of sinlessness. This of Brijinaha. It means one who is sinless. In the Kathopanishad, it's not that Shankar. It is a prakarana grantha, which Shankaracharya has written. Many may say, oh, he has written much later. But in the Vedas, is there any reference of one should be sinless to really reach to that spiritual height? Just as when I was in my college, I know, I still remember one of my professor, an extremely learned professor. He was exponent, Uh, his presentation was wonderful, he had a wonderful knowledge, but he had the habit of drinking. So sometimes uh, we found that he is totally drunk, but what he is explaining, there won't be any flaw in it. it. It has just as if that knowledge has become his reflex. So for all this academic knowledge, it has nothing to do with your life. Whatever you may be, it has nothing to do with your life. You can have that knowledge, and you can lead a carefree life also. But in for the spiritual path, you have to be what you profess, what you are professing as your knowledge. Because when you say, "I am the Atman," I am not the body, not the mind, not the senses. Then how can you associate with the body, mind, senses to do all the things which has to do with the sensed world? So these two can never go together. So if that uh, you are well versed in the scriptures, first it should find expression in your life as sinlessness. Even in the Upanishads, in the Kathopanishad, we find there is a mantra which is indicating that. What is that mantra? Na, na virato duścharitāt, na avirata duścharitāt, na, na ashaanta, na asamahita, na ashanta manasa vāpi, nam apnuyat. The one cannot attain that pragya. na apnuyat. That he cannot. Who? The one who is avirata, who have not desisted from evil conduct. Virata means to des virata means to desist. He has there is there is an interval, not an interval, it has there is a total. Uh, what you say this um, desisting from the so-called the sunset pleasures of life he has stopped he has desisted from the evil conduct that's what is meant by avi, na avirata. from the evil conduct he has desisted from it once for all from this duscha, chartra means conduct this means of evil conduct the one who has desisted has not desisted from the evil conduct from for him there cannot be any pragya na ashantha this is a Kathopanishad sloka. It's a part of the Veda. Na ashanta the one whose mind is not calm. Means who doesn't possess Shama. That calmness of the mind. ashanta Na asamahita. That who is not composed. Means he is neither uh, endowed with Shama nor on what to speak of? Uparati that asamahita speaks of uparati, that he has stopped his senses to be in association with the sense objects. And we know that even if we stop our senses to be get, getting in association with the sense object, because of the past impression, the mind may still go on visualizing them, may start still go on dwelling on them. So asamahita means he has calmed his mind by, by uh, stopping it, from getting uh, associated with the sense objects, and he doesn't take any sankalp, also doesn't get take any resolution of the so-called sensate pleasures of life. So he's he's not his samahita. The the one who is asamahita for him, there cannot be any so-called pragya. So asamahita, one who is not at peace with oneself. So it again speaks of that. Uh, he is not having the titiksha, So all the qualities you will find has been mentioned, he is not at peace with oneself, for him he can never attain that prajna. this is prajyanena na prajyanena apnuyat. So this is the one who have, is well versed in the scripture, that the knowledge must be internalized in the form of character, as we find in the life of Ramakrishna in his when he was practicing spirituality at that time he took a resolution that he will not touch coins no metal and later we find that even unknowingly if he touches metal he will get terrible pain that his reflex has changed seeing that Swami Vivekananda has a wonderful definition, it is actually his definition of education Vivekananda learned from Ramakrishna's life what that education is the nervous association of ideas it's not accumulation of information it is nervous association of ideas that i have taken a resolution that after all the wealth is something which binds so i renounce wealth the renunciation has become a nervous association it has converted your reflex that instead of getting drawn towards the wealth you get repelled by it. That as in the Bhagavad Gita also, it has been mentioned, just like a tortoise, whenever it's in danger, its limbs are withdrawn. So for a jnani, the real jnani, that whenever he sees the ob- senseless objects, instead of getting lured by it, his naturally, his reflex has changed. He gets withdrawn from it. So that's the idea of this, uh, this one who is, uh, samahita, one is at peace with oneself. So such a person alone uh, can be a, what you say, that a real guru, that one who has srotriya, one who is sinless. And then comes a kamahata. And you can be sinless only when you have no desires. The reason for saying that one should be aboriginal that is sinless is given by the next quality akamahata. If you have desire, then you are prone to sin somehow or other you will be lured and once you are lured you are bound to commit sin so akama hata speaks of the reason behind this aboriginal that wh- why he is sinless because he has no desire the desire cannot pierce him cannot afflict him cannot injure him ahata he says, means he is not injured by the karma he can never be endured. So kama can no more disturb him. Such a person alone can be sinless. And such a person, again, he can, he can be Brahma Viduttama. So one who has, there's no idea that real, that uh, who can become Akamahata? The one who has realized the self. Otherwise, the we can never become Akamahata. Only one who has realized the self, for him, desires falls off. Before that, we will be constantly fighting with our desires. It is there, so by, by, by uh, consciously getting disassociated with them, I somehow try to uh, develop a peace in my mind, but I know that if I get associated with them, it will disturb me. But for a man who has realized his real nature, then nothing can tarnish him, even if he is in the world. He is associating with the, all the sensed objects. Nothing can disturb him because he has seen the reality. Once you have seen the reality, nothing can affect you. So, for such a person, he is a Brahma Vittor. As even in the Bhagavad Gita, we will find that is wonderful sloka that Vishaya Vinivartante Niraharasya Dehina Rasa Varja Rasokpyasya Parang Drishtva Nivartate. The aspirants may restrain the senses from the objects of enjoyment. Vishaya, Vini, But the test for the sense object remains. I may somehow restrain, it's resolution. But I have the test for it. But the one who has seen the Param Drishtva, that has seen the Absolute, for him the test also has fallen off. That even the test ceases for those who have realized the Supreme. So only if you are a Brahmavit who have. The one who has known the ultimate reality has realized it. For him, he can become a Kamahata. And once you become a Kamahata, naturally you are bound to be sinless. So this makes me remember that even in Dakshineshwar, Ramakrishna heard of a monk who was leading a very immoral life. And when Ramakrishna uh, reprimanded him, not... That what he recommended that being a sadhu, why are you leading this type of life? You are doing all these immoral acts. And the sadhu replied, This world is mithya. Are my acts then real? They are also mithya. And the Ramakrishna told, I spit on such Vedanta. So intellectually, it may to be correct that if the world is mithya, are my actions correct? They are also mithya. But to realize that the world is mithya, through spiritual practices you have to first purify your mind and that and that purified mind will take you to the realization so when you come back from the realization your mind has already been purified now how can you go to this all those gross actions? you cannot so it's not an intellectual conviction, it's a realization and the process of realization is first you have to calm down your mind and contemplate on your real self, that contemplation will take you to the realisation, from realisation when you come back, your mind has already been purified. So what remains is this all those pure vrittis. So how can you uh, now again get engaged in so-called sense pursuits You cannot. So intellectually the idea is correct. That yes, if everything is false, are my acts uh, real? They are also false. But this is just mere word. I haven't realized it. And to realize that, that's why we always say, spirituality is realization. It's not just intellectual consent. For that, purity is must. Through purity, I went there. And from there, when you again come back, your mind is already purified. You can no more again get involved in that gross way of living. It's Now, it remains only in that uh, the plane. It is just like Sri Ramakrishna used to say, uh, it is just like like removing a thorn with the help of another thorn. The so-called worldliness is like a thorn which has pierced into my skin. And to remove that, I take another thorn from the same plant. With this, I remove this. The, witcher, the thorn which has pierced me, I pluck it out with the help of the second thorn. And then both the thorns are of no use. I throw them. So the second thorn is all our spiritual practices with which I have already... Just remove the first thorn which has pierced me. Then, if it has already been removed, then how can a person still get engaged in all those immoral things? It is impossible. So, you will find that all the qualities which has been spoken of are all linked. That is Brahma with That's why he is Akamahata and that's why he is a Vrijina. So, then, Brahmani, such a person naturally, his mind has already been purified. All the gross thoughts are no more there when you are going to the realization with the help of the idea that aham brahmasmi this idea takes you to that realization so it's always better to clarify the ideas that how the idea aham brahmasmi takes you to the realization so when you are contemplating aham brahmasmi constantly knowing that you are that ultimate reality that each and every thought is actually hammering your idea of ego, this ahankara, that I am this limited body-mind complex, it is hammering on that. And this ahankara is the hub of the will of our personality. And all the spikes are our innumerable desires, which we have acquired through our innumerable births. Once you you have a desire, it's never lost. It remains as a sanskara in your mind. They are all there. Some are manifested in this life. Others are unmanifested. But they are all there. Some are vyakta, vyakta. They are like those innumerable spikes. So when you are practicing this aham brahmasmi, the, the vyakta vasana, all the spikes, some are unmanifested, some are manifested. Those vyakta vasana doesn't allow my mind to calm down. So that those vyakta vasana Willfully, I have to uh, get rid of them. Otherwise, my mind won't calm down. So, Vyakta Vasana Willfully, through resolution, I am trying to control them. But there are so many vasanas, innumerable, which are not which are not manifested. If they get favorable circumstances, they will be manifested. So, how can I go on struggling with one each of them one by one? It is impossible. So, there are spiritual practice has this two-fold. one is short term one is long term what is the short term taking care of the desires which have manifested through your strong resolution and this practice contemplation aham brahmasmi or if you're a devotee of god any dualistic religion what's the idea god is i am as a spirit our relation is eternal this body will fall off but the real me is always in association with the Divine. So there also you will find the idea that the devotion speaks of hammering the idea of this limited ego. Even here also, when you are constantly meditating on your Atman, it is hammering on that ego. So through your morality, you have taken care of your Vyaktavasana, all the manifested desire. And through the practice of this contemplation, you are hammering of the hub of the will. So, if one or two spikes b- breaks, the wheel is still intact. The wheel of your personality is still intact. But if the hub is taken out, the entire wheel collapses. So that's the two field practices. So, when through that practice, the hub is being removed, you go to the realization. But how we have I went to the realization? That one contemplation, that Aham Brahmasmi, that was the idea which has taken you to the realization. So. In Vedanta they say that even when you go for through the realization for the first time because of the your prarabdha that immediately your body won't fall off. <clears throat> you still continue but you have already purified your mind so you continue with only that one thought, the thought of the Atman. The other things have already fallen off. With that you still continue as long as the past impulse for which this life has started doesn't get exhausted. Just the way when the fan is revolving, how do we stop the fan? We switch it off. When you switch it off, does the fan stop immediately? No. It goes on revolving for some time till the its, what is the impulse, its inertia of motion gets exhausted. So we or, uh, what we have to do, we have to disconnect the electricity from the coil of the fan. And then it will take its own time to stop. Similarly, when the desires have fallen off, because of the past, this impulse, the body, the mind will still continue. <coughs> it doesn't fall off immediately. But you have already purified your mind. That has taken you to the realization. So in the mind, when you come back from that state and continue with your body, what's the thought? There's only one thought. And that has been spoken of as this brahmani upartha, shanta nirindhana eva anala. It is always thinking of brahmana, all other desires have been, has vanished, so your psyche has become like the fire which can never be flared up by any more fuel, nirindhana yuvanala. So there's only one, uh, what you say, that vritti, that continues till your body falls off, and that is brahmani Uparata. So just, so see this, this, how this each and every word is so important. So such a person, Now, how he can really come back that all the desires has fallen off? Only one vritti. With that, he is somehow continuing. But still, (coughs) he comes back for the welfare of mankind by resorting to this unconditional, this love for the humanity. That's been spoken of as the Ahituku Daya Sindhu. The Guru's compassion. So that's the thing which helps him to Keep himself bound in this physical plane of existence. <clears throat> he comes down in this plane that out of this unbound compassion and he is the Bandhu. This Daya Sindhu means he is full of compassion. It is, it, it is a state of Vyutthana. In sc- scripture they say that he has went into Samadhi, from that he has came back. For such a person, only that type of unbound compassion is possible. He has seen the reality and after that, out of compassion, to help the people out of the suffering because of ignorance. They're actually, they all are the self. We are all the self. That's the, in the last Bhagavad Gita class we were studying. <coughs> that when someone, uh, sorry, in the last gospel, the class in the last gospel, uh, Sri Ramakrishna's gospel, that wonderful conversation was there. That someone asked, uh, that do we really reincarnate? Ramakrishna never gives direct answer. What he says? He says, It's so difficult to understand the ways of the Lord, his Lila. And then he uh, speaks of some episode in the Mahabharata, that Bhishma was lying on the bed of arrows, and Krishna with the Pandavas went to meet him, and the Pandavas, Arjuna saw that uh, this Bhishma is having tears in his eyes, and he felt that he's such a jnani. How can he be crying... Because of the this near death, the suffering of the this these afflictions can make him suffer, make him cry. So he was really in doubt, and he asked Krishna that how can such a uh, realized soul be suffering, be crying? And then uh, <clears throat> Krishna asked Arjuna, why don't you ask him? And when Arjuna asked that what's the reason of that he uh, crying, his answer was wonderful. That is what Vishma told that I am crying because I understood nothing of the divine Lila, God's play. What's the God's play? Is? That the God Himself is with the pandavas, and still they have to go through so much of suffering. So sometimes we may feel, that's what like in the last class we were saying, that someone asked that do you be, that is there something called reincarnation? And Sri Ramakrishna is saying this episode and saying, it's so difficult to understand God's Leela. And you may find as if he has evaded the answer. But actually he has given a wonderful answer. It's not only Arjuna who is in association with God, it is we all are in constant association with God. Our real essence is the Brahman. Because of ignorance, we think that we are this physical being. The God is always with us. Because of ignorance, we never feel his presence and go through his afflictions. And that is his God's Leela, God's Maya. <clears throat> that's the thing, the scripture is saying. <clears throat> God, out of his unbound compassion, comes down to break this delusion. That's why he's ahituka daya sindhu It's only possible when one has already went to the realization, and then there is a vyutthana. He comes back to help out humankind to come out from this suffering, and that's why he's called bandhu. The word bandhu means one who destroys the afflictions. Bandhu. Is Dukkha Haraka. The one who destroys your afflictions is Bandhu. So that's why he's been called Bandhu. And then the his friend, not to all again. Then you may say, oh, there is then how come there is a partiality? He's mentioning a n- Namatang Satam. Those who are humble, his friend to them. Why this partiality is not partiality? He's actually having unbound compassion for all. But if you are not ready to <coughs> accept, the guidance, <clears throat> if you are happy to be uh, engrossed in the sensory pleasures of the world, not having any enquiry for your spiritual dimension of existence, then who can help you out? Even God cannot help you out. The one who has already developed that earnestness, yearning to know, and that has given him the humility. From the yearning what has happened? As he has the yearning. Now he has started at developing the faith in the words of the scriptures. Sraddha has developed. Faith in the words of scriptures, faith in Guru, and he has developed that mumukshutvam, earnestness. That's when the one who has mumukshutva, the one who has sraddha, is bound to be humble. For any knowledge, when you are having the intense yearning for a particular knowledge, and you have faith, in the authority, those one who is going to teach you, these two things will make you humble. Naturally, you with humility will go to that person. So that otherwise, that knowledge you can never uh, help you. If even if the teacher wants to deliver that knowledge, you are not ready to accept it because you don't have mumukshutvam, you don't have sraddha. When those two are there, the humbleness is a something which is a must. And once humility is there. Now it becomes possible for the teacher to instruct you in the ways of spirituality. So that's why he is Bandhu of a, a namatam Satam. So that's why even in Bhagavad Gita it has been mentioned that idang te na tapaskaya na bhaktaya kadachana that this knowledge shouldn't be diverse to all. In the very last chapter, in the 18th chapter Bhagavan is saying that whatever I have taught you this is Guiha, when it is something which is sacred and secret, it has, it shouldn't be divulged to all. And then he is saying, Idaṁ te na tapas the one who has who is not having any sense of austerity, na tapas na bhaktaiya, no devotion. Kadachana, Nacha a shusrus a shusruve vakcham, naccha mang yobhisuyati. The one who cavils me, one who hates me, one who is inimical towards me, how can that knowledge be delivered? One who is not devoted, one who has no sense of austerity. So there's, there's uh, divulging this knowledge to such person is useless. It is just like pouring ghee in the ash, it is of no use. This, uh, As even in the modern psychology in the, they say that you, the, the counsel, the, the, those who do counselling, they say unless the one who needs counselling, he seeks counselling, don't go, don't go for just thinking that he needs counselling and you go for counselling, it won't help. But counselling only first one should seek, then only you can really counsel So that's the thing which has been mentioned here, that actually indicates a namatang sata So for such a person, he is bandhu, his friend. So these are the qualities which has been spoken of. Then, then when you are really earnest and you really approach such a guru, then only the spiritual knowledge can become effective and it can lead to spiritual evolution. So these are the two slokas which speak of the qualities of the guru. And then in the next class we will just go very quickly from 36 to the 42 slokas. We will rather chant them because it is more like a eulogy. That when the spiritual aspirant approaches the guru, how he should approach. So it's to certain extent hyperbole. Means haribol is always associated with hyperbole. <laughs> so it's a type of hyperbole. Uh, that also has some value when you have some uh, what you say that's uh, overflow of emotions, that it always finds the expression as hyperbole. So this 36 to 42 is a bit like hyperbole, but to do justice to the scripture, it has no uh, as such uh, philosophical much implication, but to justice as we are studying the scriptures, we will go through it, we will recite it, we will chant it and just see that how poetic Shankaracharya can be, uh, it is very poetic. So we will go through those uh, slokas, bef- then before we proceed to the uh, idea that what are the questions the student places before the guru. And then the real vivekachudamani starts by answering those questions. So that will come in succeeding uh, classes as we proceed sloka by sloka. So with this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskars.